culture, society. On every street and around every bend lies a world positively overflowing with both. But sometimes we can all use a night in, removed from the endless spiral of chaos and absolute nonsense that waits outside our doors. And for those nights, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop local stores and compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get your favorite drinks delivered to your door in under 60 minutes. All from the comfort of your couch. Because society is great, but it doesn't have your couch. And it's windy out. And you forgot your jacket. And oh my God, would you look at the line at that place? Are you serious? I... (sighs) So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. You're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. That's me, your naturally platinum blonde pop culture connoisseur. I'm the reality TV junkie, self-improvement addict, and host with only the hottest tea spilled fresh weekly. For more hot takes, go and give me a follow at Just Plain Zach. I always keep it funny and I always keep it cute. And if you're like me and you want to stay up to date with the latest reality tea, give us a follow at No Filter with Zach on the Instagram or join our pro private Facebook group. The link is in the description below. Happy New Year. We have survived 2020 and we are now into 2021. It's a new year. It is we're officially into a new decade. Let's hope that like this year, let's just manifest all the good stuff to come to us this year. Um, So this is going to be a deep dive, a special deep dive episode into all of the Tom Girardi, Erica Jane Girardi, aka Erica Chahoy, which I found out is her real name. AKA, in case you didn't know, FYI. Um, So there's so much to be broken down in this episode, but before, and I have all of my notes right here. Look, I've literally just stacks on stacks on stacks on stacks of notes, and I'm going to try to like break it down as cohesively as possible. But before I dive into all of this, um, because I don't want to get sued, I just have to say these are all allegations. Dis- all of the allegations discussed were made by former clients of Tom Girardi and Girardi Keese. Everyone, as you know, in the state, or sorry, as in our country, in the United States of America, everyone is innocent until proven guilty. The findings presented here are all public knowledge and available online. Nothing in this episode is intended to incriminate, slander, or defame any person, company, or organization. I am not trying to ruin Tom's reputation. I'm not trying to ruin Erica's reputation. I'm not trying to ruin any reputations of any associates, lawyers, organizations, because there are a lot of different players that we're going to be breaking down in this episode. I'm not trying to incriminate anybody. I'm not trying to slander anybody. I'm not trying to defame anybody. Most of what's presented here is merely speculation or conclusions drawn from public record. My job as a podcaster is to deliver the news and deliver the tea that is available all online. 
My job is merely to present a very public case that is highly publicized and to kind of put it all together um, to feed all of the people that love watching Bravo and that loved watching Erica on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which I'm really excited about the new season. I think it's going to be a really good season. I think it's going to be juicy. I'm really curious to hear what ends up making the final cut because I think there's a lot to break down in all of it. Okay, so let's start with now that the disclaimer is out there and I'm not trying to get sued or ruin anybody's lives or reputations or anything that is not my intention I'm merely covering as a news as a news organization myself I'm merely covering a very highly publicized case that is all over the internet I mean and this shit goes back decades you guys like there are decades of like information on all of this stuff okay so let's start with why don't we start with like the history of Tom and Erica so Tom was known as this big shark lawyer um there was a really big he was really notable for the Aaron Brockovich case that one was probably what put him on the map as an attorney here in California he won that case won a lot of money for a lot of clients and then went on to have this career as this shark attorney that helped the underdog. That's kind of my impression of what uh, Tom Girardi did is he would take on these big cases. Usually they were contingency cases, which basically means the clients aren't paying anything up front. What happens is he takes it to court. He fronts the bill for all of it. And then if he wins, he happens to get a cut. That cut, from what I found, ranges from like 25 to 40% is what he is entitled to or what he, um, I mean, it really, it depends on the case and depends on the actual clients, but it's usually between 25 to 40% is what he was racking in or was supposed to be racking in from these different cases. So he does look like a great guy. It's like, oh, wow, this very wealthy, successful lawyer here in California. Look at that. He may not be the cutest, but you know what? He's got a lot going for him. He's got a big heart. He's helping all of these underdogs. He's helping um, widows and and orphans and helping senior citizens that have developed cancer. And he's helping burn victims. Like, he is a great guy, right? Well, that's what Erica Chahoy thought when she met him in the late 90s. She was a waitress, okay? She was a waitress. She was waiting on Mr. Girardi. She was about 28 when things kind of, she was in her late 20s. He was in his late 50s, early 60s. They met, she was a cocktail waitress at, I think it's Chasen's. Chasen's in Los Angeles. They became friends, you know, as friendly as you can be when you're waiting on an older, richer man, CC Lala Kent. Um, yeah, they were as close as, you know, as close as you could be in that case when you're serving a rich old man. Um, so he asked her out, which you'll remember from, she broke down the story on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. He asked her out. He's, he had her secretary call Erica Chahoy and saying that Mr. Girardi wants to take you out. And she's like, if Mr. Girardi wants to take me out, he can call me himself. Click. We all remember that. Clip. She did clip to Mr. Tom Girardi. She basically wasn't, you know, doing any BJs to get any Range Rover Rovers. She was like, I've been in a marriage. I have a kid. I ain't got time for this, Tom Girardi. You want me? You gotta earn me. She was like Olivia Pope in scandal with with fits. Okay. She was like, You want it? You gotta work for it. You gotta show me that you deserve this. And you're not gonna send me your secretary to come over here and try to get at me. Like, who do you think I am? Lala can I'm really shading Lala, and I don't mean to, but um, actually have a love-hate relationship with Lala. Even though sometimes lately I feel like she needs to, you know, be a little more humble, girl. Humble. So by 1999, 
Tom and Erica are married. By January, they're married. They're like, yes, we got this. I'm in it to win it. He had already been married. He was paying his little alimony to his ex-wife. And he was like ready for his like new young thing to just come. And it seemed like they really liked each other. He seemed to be very charming. She seemed to be really into him. Um, He had a big bank account. And he was really, he had a really great reputation. Again, Aaron Brockovich, homeboys out here, just like slaying the dragons for all the little David, Davids in the in the, in the universe, in the California worlds. He was just slaying all of the Goliaths for them. So through over the next 10 years, Erica, I guess, is really involved in their marriage. She seems to be somewhat involved in some of his, um, his business dealings. She's going to like dinners with him. She, this is all stuff that she has said on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills that for the first 10 years of the marriage, they were really close, that she was really involved. After that is when things, you know, she started to, their marriage started to have a little bit more separation. Um, but she said that she was part of different organizations, um, you know, and was very supportive of Tom and his career. And into by the time we got to 2010 is when she kind of reached her like midlife crisis moment where she's like, okay, I need to do something new. I need to jazzy up my life. I'm kind of bored sitting at home, racking up credit card bills that Tom's just paying off. There's only, you know, so many Louboutins I can go by. And she didn't want to be like that housewife that's just stuck at home. So she was ready for something new. So she asked Mr. Girardi, hi, Mr. Warbox. Sorry, Mr. Girardi, can I have a, a music career? Can I do some really risque music videos and lunch? this music career and he was like yes I love it you are hot let's make these music videos and if you watch some of these music videos they are very risque to the point where there was like one music video where she's like out of the club and she's like dancing on this man and she's like grinding on him and this is her first music video mind you it's on YouTube if you go to Erica Jane music and you look at her YouTube channel and go back 10 years ago to her first video it's a lot okay I'm just gonna just gonna say that it's 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 a lot and he loved to like brag and show her off because there was a um, a dinner that I guess a lot of the um, people in the legal world here in California, they have this annual dinner that they do. And so he decided in front of this whole room full of judges that he was just going to prematurely debut Erica Jane's music video. And he did. And he was the talk of the town and so was she and people were like whoa they had a lot of questions they thought a lot of things about Miss Erica Jane and she was like it's expensive to be me get ready guys because it's gonna get juicy because now that we're past 2010 we've now we're now moving into 2015 so in 2015 these dates are going to be very important when we get into it later because there's a lot of information that I'm going to be presenting here that's not in the head or well It hasn't been, it's all available online, but a lot of the headlines are focusing on one very specific case, and that's the Boeing case, which I'll recap for you in a bit. And we'll get into all of the different allegations and lawsuits that have come up. But right now, we're just going through the timeline of Tom and Erica. So she... 2015, she gets a, she joins Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. She becomes a breakout star. She's all over people. She's all over the place. And people are like, oh, my God, who's this Erica Jane? We love it. So she said that her music career was actually in the tank. And it wasn't going very well. And she was getting ready to throw in the towel. It wasn't really making any money. It was kind of fun. She did it for about five years. And now it's like, where is it really going? According to her, when she joined the show, she was like, oh, I'm so successful. It's expensive to be me. Eh, eh, eh. How many Fs do I give? Zero, zero, none, not one. Um, she came onto the show like, oh, I have all these top dance charts. When you really look at it, it wasn't doing that hot. Like it may have found like a little underground cult following with the gays, but I don't think it was doing so hot. 
By 2018, she's at the top of her game. She releases her book, Pretty Mess. She goes on tour. We don't really see Tom at any of her book signings, but he's a busy man. She's a busy woman. They're doing their own thing. By 2020, by March of 2020, which is now in, in the past... Welcome to 2021. Um, so by 2020, she ends up getting booking the gig for Chicago, which we see Tom. He's like, do it. I support you. And she's like, oh, my God, this is all I've ever wanted. And she's crying on camera. And we're just like, yes, Erica, we're rooting for you. Even though a lot of people don't really like Erica from what I've seen in, in the comments. So March 2020, Chicago, the show that she joins ends up getting shut down. The world goes into closures. Okay. Then we get into late summer, early fall, and all of a sudden, these little lawsuits start coming up. Or not little lawsuits. It's a really big lawsuit that that came up regarding the Boeing incident, which is a plane crash that happened, um, I believe, back in 2018. Now, Erica finally files for divorce in November of 2020, November of last year. Erica's like, I'm done. I've tried. We've tried to make this work. It's just not working anymore. I've decided that I'm ready to move on. She says that she wants, uh, they don't have a prenup, which we discover. She says that she wants alimony. And he says that he doesn't want to pay her alimony. And except first, when she first filed for divorce, I was like, ooh, there's this other lawsuit. Is this possibly an attempt for them to um, conceal assets or hide money or do something? And then once he filed in return or in response, he ended up saying, I'm not paying her. I'm not paying her any money. I'm not paying her spousal support. And on top of that, I want her to pay for my attorney's fees. And everyone's like, whoa, wait a minute. Aren't you big Tom Girardi? Don't you got all this money? Aren't you big and bad? I almost did a Leon Locken moment. And I'm glad I stopped myself because I didn't want to get canceled for that in five years. So then he's like, no, I'm not paying you anything. And she's just like, fine, whatever. It's expensive to me. Me, I'll find money elsewhere. Thank you very much. I'll write another book. I'll do Housewives for another year or two. I'm good, homie. I got Scooter Braun, allegedly. And, you know, we're, we're cute. Okay. Which also I found out that Scooter Braun and his wife, their marriage has ended. I don't know if this has become public knowledge yet, but it is a rumor that I have heard. It is speculation that they have split which is very convenient considering the rumors with him and Erica Jane. Just going to say that. It's so juicy to be me. Okay, then we get to December, which was last month because now we're in January. So in December is when Erica Jane posts on her Instagram all of these very old-looking text messages accusing Tom of having an affair with Trisha A. Bigelow. Who is Trisha A. Bigelow, you ask? Trisha A. Bigelow, she's a judge here in California, 2nd District Division 8, California Court of Appeal. Very, very interesting, okay? California Court of Appeal. Let's remember that for later. Just going to say, sounds like a powerful woman in California. Just remember that little that little nugget of wisdom. She held a seat from 2008 after being appointed by then Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator. Um, her her current term is set to end in 2031. She used to be uh, Attorney General back in the 80s and 90s. Now she is a judge. I'm going to repeat: she is a judge for the second division, second district division eight of the. California Court of Appeal. I also want to repeat, I'm not making any accusations of people, merely just dropping some some fun facts that we may want to take notes with because we may circle back to all of this. Because it looks like Tom was a very well-connected man. If he's over here banging this judge, allegedly, and he's paying for her plastic surgery, 
And, you know, we also know Governor Jerry Brown, Governor Gavin Newsom, very good friends of him, have spoken very highly of him. I think Gavin Newsom here in California even said that Erica Jane was his favorite housewife. So just going to put it out there that Tom is a very powerful man here in California, has a lot of big connections, not making any strong suggestions, just, you know, merely presenting some things, not coming after anybody. Just want to clarify that. Okay, so that's Trisha A. Bigelow. Erica posts these like text messages. They look super old. People did some digging online. They could possibly be from the mid 2010s. They can be from earlier. Like we don't know exactly when these text messages are from. But what we do know is that at some point Tom was cheating. Sources have come out saying that Erica was aware of Tom's cheating when they were trying to work on things, which kind of makes sense as we get into the 2010s. Once her music career was kind of taken off and she seemed a little busier. I think that they may have had some sort of don't ask, don't tell open arrangement. That is what I'm guessing. It seems like that would make sense. We also know that at the beginning of 2020, Tom was also photographed with another blonde woman that was not Erica. That was a little headline that came out, but didn't didn't make much of a splash. But it came out that we that he was seen with somebody else on New Year's Eve, ringing in the new year, and it wasn't Erica. And everyone was like, what, why, what, huh? Who, who this girl? Who's she? Okay. So now that we've gotten through the timeline of events, Erica and Tom are still going through this divorce. Probably won't be done. Legal analysts have suspected that this won't be done anytime soon because of all of the other legal allegations that have been made by former clients and partners of Mr. Tom Girardi. Okay. Now, the most big, the biggest one that we're, everyone's talking about is this Boeing incident, which I'll recap for you very quickly, but it's literally everything everybody's talking about right now. So basically in October of 2018, there was a plane crash. Some children lost their parents. Some, sp- some uh, spouses lost their significant others. And so there was a settlement that was reached that Tom argued in court. He reached a settlement of $2 million for these victims of the... or the. Uh, Victim, or how do I say this? They were the the people that were left behind by the people that passed in the plane crash. Now, Tom, so basically it looks like they were owed about $500,000 each per client because it was $2 million that was owed to them, which the case, you know, the, the courts determined that that was the money that was owed to them. And they're like, this is not a lot of money for a man like this, who apparently has a lot of money, who has a very successful law firm like this. I don't understand how this happened. Apparently, it's like a a, a lawyer 101 thing that like once the, the settlement money comes in, it's not supposed to go into the personal accounts or the business accounts, but it's supposed to go into a separate account that that pays out the individual clients directly. Somehow, somewhere the ball was dropped and none of these uh, none of these um, families got any of the money and somehow the money just kind of poof disappeared. We don't know what happened to it. They're claiming Tom did something with it, which is why now all of his assets have been frozen for his personal and his his company assets have been frozen until we figure out what happened to all of the money. Erica Jane has also now been dragged into this because she was married to Tom. So basically they're saying that anything that is hers, which is why when she was selling her clothes, um, she was doing like some promotion. I think it was on Twitter. Um, She was doing a promotion where she was selling her clothes and they told her to stop selling her clothes because everything that she owns is technically now considered community property because she's still married to Tom Girardi. And so everything has been frozen until they figure out what actually happened to the money that was due to these Boeing clients, um, to the to Tom's clients that were part of this Boeing lawsuit. We don't know where it's at. 
That's kind of where everything is up at the moment. So now when, how, where, what, where did this all begin? Because now all these people are coming out left and right and they're saying, hold up, Tom Girardi owes me money. Hold up, I'm a former client of Tom Girardi and he never gave me all of my settlement. Like we're talking about like, literal burn victims and senior citizens that were diagnosed with cancer, people that Tom represented and has fought for. And now apparently they're saying that they didn't receive their settlements or they didn't receive what they were supposed to be or expected to be receiving. Or some of them are even claiming that Tom not only didn't give them their settlements or the full money that they're entitled to, but he also made decisions or negotiated certain things on their behalf without disclosing this information to them, which is a big no-no when you're the lawyer. Like when you're the lawyer, you're basically just the broker between the client and the defendant. And so you have to be the, you have to get approval from your client before you sign off on any deals. And so some of these clients are saying, we didn't sign off on that. We didn't know what the situation was. We didn't know what was going on. So the first big case that really stood out to me was this case with the senior citizens. So there was 138 senior citizens, and this was a lawsuit that hit back in 2014. Again, all of these dates, they're all going to kind of connect at, at, at some point. So get ready. Get your, your, your notepads ready. So in 2014, we had this senior citizen lawsuit. It was all of these women who claimed that they had developed cancer after taking a hormone supplement therapy. Tom went in, won a settlement, or his law firm. Not This isn't all just on Tom, but his law firm and, and associates went in, won this case, and apparently the settlement was $17 million is what they're claiming they ended up get, uh, is claiming what ended up being uh, paid out as a result of this lawsuit. So they then went on to try and sue Tom, claiming that he misappropriated the funds and there was more than $10 million that was unaccounted for and they don't know what happened to that. So now here's the other thing. Remember how earlier I mentioned that Tom typically took about, from what I was able to gather online, it looks like he took he was regularly taking about 25 to 40 percent in um, as as the percentage that he's owed. And again, these were all contingency cases. So it's not like any of these clients were paying all of this money up front. He was fighting this, these cases and taking on a lot of the heavy workload to start. So he was saying that if I win this case, this is the percentage that I'll take. So let's say that Tom was keeping the high end of this uh, of this settlement, which if the settlement was 17 million then 10 million, which have apparently disappeared. We don't know what happened to that 10 million. That's that's a 58% of the winning. So that's not in the 25 to 40% range that he was normally taking out. That's 58% of 17 million. So they're kind of like, what happened? Where did this money go? We want to see your books. We want to see like how this all breaks down. He said that everything was kosher and that he, he wasn't going to give up the books or not Tom, but like uh, his law firm, like the entity of Tom Girardi said, nope, we're not turning over our books. They kind of dodged it. Eventually, they ended up reaching a settlement um, and he they got the money that they were asking for because they were threatening to sue him. Now, it's also very interesting because around the same time, Tom went to two different lenders and borrowed a total of $17 million with very high interest rates, mind you. Which is kind of interesting because you would think, well, he should have some of the money, right? Like some of the money has to be somewhere. Like where? how could the money just disappear? And if the money just disappeared, then why are you then going and taking out 
two loans, equaling $17 million, which coincidentally also happened to be the settlement money that was entitled to the seniors. Now, I don't think they were entitled the entire $17 million because, again, he was getting his own cut and any other associates were probably also getting their own cut. But everyone's claiming that they didn't get what they were supposed to be getting. So that's where it's a little fishy. But so he paid them off. They reached a settlement that was done. I don't know what the details of that settlement were, but it was it was case closed. So he continued over the next several years. He was continuing to take out loans from different lenders, very high interest rates. And the the interesting piece is that he was taking it out. So when you take out a loan, normally you have to prove that the money is coming back in or you place up certain property for collateral. So it was later discovered that he was taking out a lot of different loans and he was putting up a lot of the same collateral and lying to different lenders, which has now come out in their own documents because now they're coming out after this Boeing incident that blew up early or a couple months ago. Now all these lenders are coming out to sue him and all these other former clients are coming out to sue him because they're claiming that like he owes them a ton of money. And so from what I gather, this looks like it's been 10 years of like a -a whack-a-mole sort of situation where... It was basically a Ponzi scheme where he was getting in new money to pay back old money to settle with his clients that were threatening to sue him. And so he would, it seems like he was waiting for them to come after him and threaten to sue. And then once they, once they reached that point where they're like, okay, now I'm actually going to sue you if you don't give me my money, then he was going, winning other cases or taking out additional money to pay them off, to keep them quiet. But then he had this other deficit then he had to pay off. And so he just kind of kept going and the snowball kept growing and growing and growing. And now we're in this case that we're in right now where this Boeing incident has come up and all these other people are like, you owe us money. And he's like, I don't have money. All I have is 15K and that's all I got in my bank account. And that's where Erica Jane's like, whoa, I thought we were rich AF, homie. Like, what's going on here? Where's all our money at? That's where everyone's like, what happened to the money? Which is why all of his assets are currently frozen. And so apparent, uh, according to the lenders, so a lot of people are coming out and saying a lot of different things about Tom Girardi. So according to some of the lenders, they're saying that he was very, very secretive about the fact that he even had other loans that had been taken out with other collateral that had already been put up. So for example, this is all hypothetical. This isn't actual real, but this is hypothetical to give you an idea of what the situation looks like. He's going to one lender over here and saying, hey, give me let's say 10 million. Can I borrow 10 million? I'll put up my house as collateral so that if I don't pay this money back, you can, you're entitled to that worth of my house. Then he's going to another lender and another lender and another lender and selling them the same story and telling them the same thing and putting up his house up for collateral. Again, this is all hypothetical. I'm not saying this is what he actually did, but just to give you an idea, he was basically telling them all the same story, but not telling them about each other. It's like when you have a bunch of hookers and you're sleeping with all the women and you're just like, oh, I love you and I love you and I love you, but I'm not telling any of you about any of you basically what he was doing to the lenders and now they're like holy shit we're not we're not going to get anything from him he doesn't have the cash to pay us back and the collateral the property that he put up all these other collateral items that he put up aren't actually going to be entitled to us because other people are going to try to fight them first and at this point it's probably going to go and the precedent's probably going to start with timing and like when 
the uh, like the first lender is probably going to be entitled to let to that more than the other lenders that came later on. And these again were were loans that he took out with very high interest rates. So this man has accumulated allegedly accumulated a lot of debt, which is not a good look, especially because. I mean, who knows what's going to end up happening with Erica Jane and how much she's going to have to pay back and like what she's going to end up owing because she's still technically his wife. And here's a little technicality that she may get out of this with. When she filed for divorce, she didn't put a separation date, which apparently is not standard. Apparently, when you file for divorce, you also list a separation date, which she did not do. So that's where they're saying her legal counsel is probably going to use that to like clear her of some of these issues. But I mean, it looks like they didn't have a good relationship or a close relationship for a long time. And I said, she mentioned that on Housewives, that they really didn't. There was a dinner that I was watching the other day or or lunch where it was the two of them. And she's like, yeah, I don't see Tom often. We don't see each other very often. But that's what makes our marriage work is that we don't see each other that often. And so when we do see each other, we're able to really appreciate our relationship so much more. So now these are all of the lawsuits that have been building over the past 10 years that have really come to a head now because there was even another client, a burn victim client that was trying to sue him for money that he didn't pay. I think he owed him. This is just off the top of my memory, so please don't quote me on this part, but I believe he owed them 10, maybe 12 million. And so he, that was another client that was threatening to sue him. And so he, I believe, settled in January of 2020 and made an initial payment of a million to that client. And then those payments kind of stopped. So I think that's where this year, because everything kind of got clogged, it was like a, a a backed up toilet. And since everybody's finances got held up, all of the courts kind of started uh, to get clogged and all of the cases started to get put on hold. People weren't having much of a, a cash inflow. And as we can see with this little Ponzi scheme that was apparently set up or what it appears to be, it looks like. Once the cash stopped coming in, he wasn't able to pay all of these people back. And that's when everybody started going crazy. And once the first big lawsuit came out, everybody's like, hold up, wait a minute, loop me in on this too. So now let's get into the ethics complaints because this is where it also gets a little juicy. So in addition, this is where it gets a little crazy. And this is where I think a lot of the clients have some grounds to even potentially put together, um, or actually this isn't my idea, but I was listening to a podcast on, I was listening to Hot Takes and Deep Dives with Jess, who's been on this show before. She had a lawyer on, oh my God, where's the name of that lawyer? Because I want to, or she was a former LA prosecutor, Emily D. Baker. So on that, she was basically saying that, which is a great episode that I think you you probably would want to listen to after this. Um, Emily was basically saying that um, this could potentially turn into a civil suit because there, which I was able to dig up online, there was a uh, like a, a series and a history of complaints that have been filed against Tom where there have been people that have been trying to get him disbarred for a really long time. So the fact that these complaints were coming up and he was getting slapped with fines and he was really being accused of ethical misconduct with his clients, the accusations made against him, that shows that like that the state probably wasn't doing their job or that he was connected to some very powerful people like um, appeals court, Trisha, a, a Bigelow, not saying that she did anything, but you know, he had some very powerful connections and he was paying them a lot of money and he was paying for some of their plastic surgery. And so, you know, these are just some things we want to, we want to just think about. 
Um, so, okay, so let's get into some of these ethics complaints because this is where shit gets real shady. So there was a case, there was the banana, which I'm calling the banana pesticide case, okay? Because <laughs> it's the easiest way I know how to explain it. So I'm going to try my best to explain what went on during this case and how it connects to other cases that we're going to see coming up in a minute because this is, again, where it gets really shady beyond just, I mean, it's really gross and insidious that like he was taking money from these clients and not actually paying them out. And these are, again, the underdogs, like victims of some really horrific crimes that were being you know, it's just, it's not a cute look. But so let's get into the first real big ethics complaint that I was able to come across, and that's the banana pesticide case against Dole and Shell. Um, so now there is a, in Nicaragua, there is a banana plant, and the workers on the plant had decided that they were going to sue the American companies that were selling the bananas because I guess they owned the plant. There was a pesticide that was being sprayed on the bananas. That pesticide, they were worried about the damage that it could be doing to their body, potentially cancerous. I don't like pesticides. I don't like GMOs. That's just me. I don't fuck with that shit. Very elegant and classy for a journalist um, to say. Okay, so when the plaintiffs tried to sue these American companies for this... Uh, pesticide, which was DBCP. That's the name of the pesticide. So when the the lawsuits were filed, they were filed, the defendants were incorrectly listed. So they were listed as Dole Food Corporation, even though the company's actual name was Dole Food Company. And then the other one was listed as Shell Oil Company, and it should have been listed as Shell Chemical Company because Shell Oil Company technically doesn't exist and Dole Food Corporation also technically doesn't exist. But Dole Food Company and Shell Chemical Company do exist. Okay, why is that important? Because once this was actually, once there was a settlement reached, Tom Girardi and his law firm were, and associates were the ones that were representing this case for the plaintiffs, for the, uh, the farmers on the plantation against Dole and Shell. Why is this important? Because when the judgment was actually passed, the people that were um, technically supposed to pay out the money were Dole Food Corporation and Shell Oil Company, except neither of those exist because the correct names are actually Dole Food Company and Shell Chemical Company. So Dole Food Company and Shell Com- Food and, and Shell Chemical Company were like, well, we don't have to pay you because that's not our company. That's not our actual company name. So we're not entitled to make that. Those companies that you listed are the ones that are entitled to make those payments. So Tom and his uh, partner ended up going off and I think his name was Lack. Yes. So Tom and and his partner Lack were the ones that went to file for an appeal here in the states to make sure that those settlements were paid out by these companies and apparently they I mean there's some proof that they were trying or that they were communicating with the team out in Nicaragua to try and get this resolved and to try to make sure that the names were updated in the court documents and that it really was shown that this was a clerical error and we needed to get these things updated so that these uh, def- these plaintiffs can receive their settlements and there is proof of that however when they were going to the Court of Appeals and they were trying to actually make this happen and trying to get this pushed forward, it seems like there was some deception because they were saying that this was already settled. And I guess there was um, a document that was false. It was a false document that was submitted as proof that this situation had been cleared up with the courts in Nicaragua to actually get those company names corrected. Long story short, 
um, there was uh, an ethics complaint filed against Tom Girardi and his associates for basically uh, filing a false document that wasn't accurate. It wasn't true. And so he was slapped. He was he was hit with a slap on the wrist and he and his associates were required to then pay back the attorney's fees of those plaintiffs. So the plaintiffs didn't actually get any money. Nothing. They didn't get what they were hoping to get out of it. I don't know what happened to the case afterwards after Tom was was slapped with his ethical um with the ethical complaints against him for falsifying that document and submitting a false document, which again, that's not that's not a good thing. When you're a lawyer, you have to do everything by the book. So if you're submitting false documents, allegedly, I'm just going to say that just in case I misspeak on anything. Um, when you're submitting false documents and saying that this issue has already been resolved and it hasn't and the document that you're submitting isn't a real document, like that's really bad. That's not a cute look for Mr. Tom Girardi. Okay. Now, why is this important? Let's move on to the next case. So this next case, after the banana pesticide case, there was another case, the Fogel v. Farmers case. So this was um, Farmers Group, Inc., Fogel v. Farmers Group, Inc. This case, also uh, Tom Girardi and, associ- and his associates were representing Fogel in this case and not Farmers because it looks like, because like I said, Tom's history was, I'll take on the underdog, go against the big giants and try to win the cases for them. So this was a case of um, it was an insurance fraud case and, a you know, they were suing for some fees and some fraudulent activity, allegedly. And so Tom was representing Fogel and there was an attorney, Skadden Arps, who was representing Farmers Group, Inc. Now, why is Skadden Arps important in any of this? Why are we even talking about Fogel v. Farmers Group, Inc.? Because Skadden Arps, at the same time that he was fighting Tom Girardi in court for this farmer's insurance case, he was actually representing Tom Girardi and in in his ethics violation case with the banana pesticide situation that was going on. So here's Tom trying to defend himself for saying, I wasn't unethical. And so he brings in Skadden Arps to come and defend him. Doesn't seem like that big of a deal, right? Seems innocuous. He brought in another lawyer to come and help defend him in this case because he needed representation. But why is it that in the during this exact same time, the attorney that you picked to represent you in an ethics violation is the same attorney that you're fighting in court? And not only does that sound sketchy enough that you are going to the attorney of the opposing side that you're fighting with in court to come and represent you on something completely separate, especially when it comes to ethics, an ethics violation, which you could get disbarred from, which he didn't get disbarred from. He didn't get suspended for. He just had to pay out, you know, he had to pay some fines and pay out the attorney's fees. But Skadden Arps went to some length, some big lengths, again, Went to some big lanes. What his motive was, I don't know. I can't speak for him. Everyone's innocent until proven guilty. But Skadden Arps was trying to get his name redacted from public records so that people wouldn't know that Skadden Arps was the one that was representing Tom Girardi in that case, which seems a little sketchy. Why don't you want people to know that you're representing Tom Girardi? That's a little sketchy. Could it be the fact that you guys are literally fighting each other on opposing sides in another really big case? Why would you even want to work with the attorney that you're fighting against when your clients should definitely take precedent and take priority, in my opinion? Now, not only that, but Tom was slapped with another ethics violation because not only 
was this whole situation sketchy with with Skaden Arps, who was representing him and tried to get his name redacted. But it was on the responsibility of Skaden Arps and Tom Girardi to notify their clients that they were working together outside of this case and not even just working together, but working together to fight Tom's ethics violation or ethics complaint. Super sketchy. So Tom's now working with the opposing side. Like that's that's not a cute look. Not saying that that means anything, but that's not a cute look. So let's move into the next case, which is also within the same sort of timeline of everything that's going on. Okay, so this next case is about ghost hunters the show the reality show ghost hunters where you see these people that go and they're trying to bust the the ghosts okay so there is larry mons and dana smoller larry mons and dana smoller were suing pilgrim films they were represented by girardi keys which is tom girardi's um law firm they were represented because again they were basically the david Pilgrim Films was Goliath. So it's this big case against NBCU, essentially, because they're the big parent company in all of this. So Larry and Dana are, are claiming that Ghost Hunters, that uh, sci-fi's show Ghost Hunters was inspired by ideas that were theirs. It was, um, they came up with these ideas. Sci-fi then went on to produce this show, which was technically theirs. And so I believe it was a bit of like a copyright issue of like th- that was their IP. There was their intellectual property. It was their ideas that were then taken to create Ghost Hunters and all of these spinoffs and the success that it was. So Larry and Dana were like, we're entitled to that. Or like, this is shady that you stole our idea, basically. And so this was like several years in court trying to make this happen. It seemed like a very shoo-in, easy case to win. Okay, so Tom Girardi, Girardi and Keys are the ones that are representing this case against NBCU and Pilgrim Films. Okay, now in 2014, the case was thrown out and lost on a technicality. Okay, and so they're claiming that, so Dana... I ended up finding her. She had a series of different Pinterest posts that I found online that were connected. She was basically implying that there was somebody on her legal team or she was speculating that somebody on her legal team may have intentionally threw this case, which is like, well, that's kind of interesting. Why would somebody intentionally throw this case when it seemed like a shoe in case and it looked like you were actually going to win this case? But it was kind of interesting how at the last minute you ended up losing the case when it seemed like a shoe in case that you were going to win. And I think based off of the articles that were covering the case, it looked like Larry and Dana were actually going to win this case against Pilgrim. And so it looked like what ended up happening is there was some sort of statute of limitations clerical issue. It was a technicality that they lost on and it, it was an issue with the filing date. And so Dana's claiming that Tom either that Tom like either missed something or potentially even could have thrown this case intentionally which you would think, why would Tom actually do that? You don't think, doesn't he care about his clients? But then we see there, you know, is this history of some other sketchy business with other clients allegedly, and he's clearly having some financial issues. So trying to connect all the pieces, trying to see how all the pieces fit together. But it just, it, it was very strange that Larry and Dana, to me, from what I was able to find in the coverage online, it was interesting that they lost the case. And so basically, like I said, Dana's alluding to, are speculating that someone may have thrown it. Maybe it was, you know, could have been her own attorney. Who knows? That attorney was Tom Girardi. Hmm, interesting. Conveniently enough, this case was wrapped in April of 2014, 
conveniently enough, it was 2015 when the season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, season six, happens to come out on Bravo TV. Interestingly enough, Bravo TV is also owned by NBCU, who Tom Girardi was just fighting in court. So you would think that it would be interesting if Tom was literally just in court fighting NBCU and now all of a sudden he's okay with his wife just joining the NBCU family here at Bravo. Look, this is all like a lot of speculation. Um, Is it possible that, you know, there's really no connection between Erica joining Housewives and Tom's case? That's absolutely possible. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I'm just saying, you know, it could even be as as simple as like he just was trying to make sure that he kept really good contacts over there so that, you know, he didn't burn any bridges. That's also very possible as well. I mean, it, he definitely went after some big giants. It seems like he was a very smart man and was very, you know, wanted to maintain a lot of important relationships for himself. I honestly don't know. I mean, it's very possible that this is all just like, you know, grasping for straws and Erica very likely, you know, was maybe recommended by somebody and, you know, just was able to make it on the show all on her own. That's all very possible. I'm not accusing her or NBC of doing any shady dealings. There's no history of that. There's no proof of that. Um, I'm just saying Tom's been a little shady, so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he wasn't trying to burn any bridges or he was definitely, you know, trying to do something because the timing of it just seems a little, it just seems a little fishy from where I'm sitting. The timing of it, you'd wrap up this case and then all of a sudden, you know, you decide to put your wife out there. You also have all these like financial issues. So like, you know, maybe he was really pushing her to join the show because they needed the money. Um, Again, all of this is really kind of big and up in the air. And from the looks of it, Dana seems to think that Tom just could have potentially thrown the case, which... Also, I mean, it also looks like the case even kind of got them blacklisted or just, you know, potentially could have ruined some of their relationships in the process. They don't seem to have any entertainment credits after that timing. It looks like a lot of their credits are from like the the 90s. They seem to have gone on Dana and Larry. It looks like Larry has unfortunately passed away. But Dana seems to be, you know, living, you know, promoting. She has a healthy living website that she has now. It seems like she's definitely either intentionally or maybe she just felt like it wasn't even worth it to go in and entertainment anymore. Maybe she was so disheartened. I don't know. I'm just saying the timing was a little suspect. You end a case with NBC and then all of a sudden you join the NBC family. But again, that could very likely be absolutely nothing. But at the same time, I don't know. I don't know if I'm trusting Mr. Girardi. But again, everybody's proven, everyone's innocent and so proven guilty. I have to keep pushing that down. Um, yeah, it's really unfortunate. Rest in peace, Larry. My heart goes out to Dana and just any of the other victims that have unfortunately gotten tied or roped into all of this. It's just, it's really unfortunate and it's really sad. And my heart is heavy for all of them because it seems like a lot of people were screwed out of a lot of big dealings and that is just a really shitty thing. And when you're tied to, I get one, fine, maybe even two, but like you have multiple clients that seem to have been screwed over to you by you, multiple clients that are claiming that you owe them money, ethics violations that, you know, you've could have been disbarred for a lot of these issues. Like some, like at some point we have to be like, what the hell actually happened here? 
And, you know, at the same time, if he knew that there was a lot of shady dealings, maybe he didn't want Erica to join Bravo from her side of the story, from what we've seen on the show. It seems like he really had no objection to that. And it could have really just been the fact that he needed the paycheck. They needed money coming in and he couldn't carry the weight anymore and maybe needed her to pay for her own glam. Maybe he needed her to cover Mikey's bills all on her own. It's a lot of unknown questions. A lot of questions is really what it's come down to. A lot of questions and still not a lot of definitive answers. Hopefully to Dana, to the Nicaraguan um, workers, to all of these former clients that were represented by Tom Girardi that do feel like they, you know, were in some way either taken advantage of or, you know, feel like Tom did something to them or, you know, just didn't treat them fairly. My heart goes out to all of them. Like, this is a really unfortunate, like when you look at like seniors with cancer, burn victims, like it's just, it really weighs on your heart when you actually investigate and look at all of these cases and you see how many people that are claiming they've been duped by Tom Girardi. And look, it's one thing to get a lot of publicity and then to have everybody come out of the woodwork. It's like when you get famous and you gain a lot of money and then everybody, all your cousins from like, you know, cousins that you've never even met before that claim that, you know, they went to school with you in Idaho or wherever. And they're all of a sudden just like, oh, you owe me money. You owe me, you know, X number of dollars that I loaned you back in, you know, 1708. And you're just like, who the hell are you? Where the fuck did you come from? I don't even know your mother. Um, so it could be a situation of that where everyone's just now all of a sudden starting to come out. Or, I mean, it could be not to compare it, um, not to compare it too much, but like Harvey Weinstein, where like once Rose McGowan came out with her big, you know, her case against with Ronan Farrow, once that came out, everybody else kind of felt comfortable to come forward because it seems like this man was very connected. The fact that there were so many ethical violations, or even, let's not even say so many, but just the two that I mentioned here, the complaints filed against him, which you could get disbarred for. You could lose your legal license, your license to practice law. You could lose that for some of these offenses. And the fact that he was able to get away with those with just little slaps on the wrist or having to pay some fees, and he was able to still practice law like this is not a good situation and so you know I think the point that um that was made on hot takes and deep dives about how this could become a civil class like lawsuit against the state of California for not doing their job and protecting all of these clients here in California from a man that has a history of some shady dealings again everybody's innocent until proven guilty but like this is not looking good for Tom Girardi and therefore not looking good for Erica Jane now, um, uh, let's see. There also is, okay, so after the Boeing case that came out, one of the other lawsuits that came up was from um, Tom's former partners who are claiming that he was keeping money from them and that he was concealing assets and that they didn't even realize that he was taking out loans against the building that they all collectively owned together that housed the law firm. Lots of people are coming forward and being like, I didn't know so many of these things were going on. I didn't know he was in debt. I didn't know he was taking out so many loans. Apparently, some former employees were even saying that he was so, or former partners and colleagues were saying that he was so secretive with all of the financials. And he was the one that was really the only person overseeing all of the financials. And I guess people just trusted him. He was a very well-respected man. When you're out there and you're doing the David and Goliath cases and you're helping all of these underdogs, like... Who's really going to question you? I mean, I've heard things about Tom Girardi for many years that he is a shark in the courtroom, that he, you know, he really goes hard when he's fighting for his clients. But now we're seeing that it doesn't look like he was actually fighting for his clients as much as he was actually fighting for himself.
Not a cute look, Tom Girardi. Not a cute look. All right, I guess that other, like the next really big piece of all of this that everyone's really wondering, or a lot of people are really speculating, is how much of all of this did Erica Jane, Erica Girardi, Erica Chahoy, how much did she actually know about what was going on? And so I have my own theory. I'll give you my theory first before we dive into all the other pieces of it. But like, so what I think happened is I think she was playing the good wife. I think she loved Tom. I think she adored Tom. I think he was a sweet talker. I think he knew what to do and what to say to get people. He had charisma. He knew how to get people to fall in love with him. And obviously Erica was in love with him. And I think when you're, you know, young and you're a single mother, I think it's very easy to get caught up in the idea of somebody supporting you and being there for you financially and emotionally in a way that like you don't have to hustle as hard to take care of your son and you have this man that you can love and trust that you know is going to to be there for you and I don't think that's a terrible thing for her to have fallen in love with him not really knowing who he was and I also don't think he started off as a bad man I think Relating back to the senior citizens case, it looks like that's really where the snowball started to build and it just kind of took on a life of its own. And I think it was probably a lot of power and ego. And he probably thought that his dick was the biggest in the room and he swung it around like every chance he got. And it was more of just, you know, the power got to his head and he thought that he was invincible and he thought that he could get away with these things. And he thought that he could conceal it all and he didn't want any of it to get out because of his big ego. It's not to say that Erica's entirely innocent. I think, yes, she probably did play the good wife, but at the same, the the good wife in terms of like, I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm not going to pay attention to what's going on. I don't believe, and I'll just say this and I'll confidently stand by it. I don't believe she was fully aware of everything that was going on. Because if you think about it, Tom's a lawyer and he's a very smart lawyer. And from what his former colleagues, from what his former employees, from what his bo- former business partners, from what the, the, the lenders are all claiming, like, this is everybody is claiming that he was deceiving all of them and that he was concealing things from all of them, concealing assets, not being honest about loans, not being honest about debt, not being honest about what's actually owed to certain clients. His clients are even saying that he wasn't even fully disclosing the settlements that they were going to be getting and he was making decisions on their behalf without keeping them aware. So this is a story that everybody else is telling. So I think if everybody is starting to say something very similar about Tom and how secretive he was, I don't think Erica Jane's going to be the one person that he confides in. I don't think he's coming home at dinner and they're having steak and he's like, you know what, honey? Just took some money from some orphans today. Those shoes that you're wearing... Paid for by the widows. Thank you very much. I don't think he was doing that. I don't think he was disclosing all of his dealings to her. And at the same time, I don't think she was asking. I think it was one of those things where you know your husband's a little shady. You know your husband's a shark. You know he could be a bit of a jerk. And so, you know, you're like, you know what? I have a good lifestyle. Things are really good where we're at. This Pasadena house is cute. I'm happy on housewives. You know, he's going and doing whatever he may or may not be doing with Trisha A. Bigelow. And, you know, if I just kind of keep him in line a little bit and just make sure he's a little more discreet with what he does, I'm going to live my life. I'll let him live his life. And I'm just going to, you know, sit back and enjoy the life that I have. And that's this, you know, the wealth that he's accumulated. I think she showed up for dinners when he needed her to show up. I think she, you know, 
rubbed elbows with associates when needed. Um, you know, anytime he needed her, I'm sure she was there and happy to be there to support him. But I don't think she was really much involved, at least in these later years. We see all of this really kind of coming to a head after 2010, which is when her music career started. That's when we really start to see the cookie crumble a little bit. And that's where I think their relationship started to, you know, they started to fall apart and they started to separate a lot more. And they've been very honest. And for years, she was open about the fact that they don't see each other that often on on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So I think they, I mean, she did, however, on Housewives admit that for the first 10 years, she was very much by Tom's side and she was very much involved as much as she could. She would, you know, schmooze with his associates she joked that you know they all hated her ass and still hate her ass and she kind of laughed about that in her confessionals on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills so I think again she knew her husband was a jerk I think she knew he was a shark in the courtroom and he had a lot of power and I think it was one of those things where it's like if I don't know then you know I think Bethany was right you can't play smart and stupid at the same time and I think she was smart and I think she was smart enough to not ask questions she was smart enough to not get involved she was smart enough to keep her hands clean. It's interesting that in her first season, she accused Lisa Vanderpump of being the sniper from the side who didn't want to shooting, didn't want to leave any fingerprints. And it seems like she very much knew those tactics and she knew how to keep herself busy and preoccupied and out of town. So however the money was coming in, she wasn't going to ask questions. Now, the interesting part of it all, there was an accumulated sum of $20 million that was, um, some people say funneled. What his lawyers are claiming is that there were loans paid out to a company that she owned that was helping with all of her glam and her music career. And that is called EJ Global. So these are the four different companies that are coming out. So there's a really good um, Ronald Richards on Twitter is closely kind of following the case and tweeting live updates about it. So I recommend following him. Um, And so he's the one that actually tweeted out that there are these four different companies that are basically at play in the whole scandal here. And that's EJ Global LLC, where Erica is listed as a manager and a member. There's Girardi Financial LLC, where she's listed as an officer and the secretary. There's New Nation Pretty Mess Records. LLC, where she's a member, but apparently suspended. And then there's Candy Candy Rain LLC, where she's a member and also suspended. Now, this is where it gets tricky. And this is where we get into what is Erica's actual liability and what could she actually be facing? I'm not a legal professional. I'm not an expert in any of the legal matters. But from what I found online from the other podcasts that I've listened to, this is when I've been able to gather. It looks like Tom's firm was paying out these quote unquote loans to Erica's company, but I don't think they ever, I don't think Tom ever expected to be collecting on these loans moving forward. I think it's a little shady. It's a little, um, yeah, it's a little shady that he was even listing them as loans to her company instead of just being like a gift or a payment or write it off as some sort of expense. I I'm confused as to why it would be listed as a loan. And I think the only reason they would mention or say that it's a loan is to make sure that if there was any sort of backfire or backlash, it could potentially throw the heat on Erica and her company, which is a little shitty. But I mean, and that's a bit of a stretch for me to make. But I mean, why else would you list these payments as loans? And so now with all of these accusations against Tom and all of these people saying that he owes them all of these money, all of this money, it looks like he clearly doesn't have the money. 
And his assets have all been put up for collateral on the loans that he's taken out. So legal analysts that I've, you know, followed about all of this are saying that it looks like it's probably going to become a bankruptcy case and it's going to go to bankruptcy court where all of the assets are going to need to start to be divided. And one of the assets that they're probably going to come after, whether or not, um, I mean, as of right now, everything that Tom owns is technically considered community property amongst himself and Erica. So it looks like everything that she owns is still technically his. So they can take her assets and her, you know, jewelry or whatever she has, and they can use that to pay off the people that are owed debts. But the other big part where she may be, she may be legally responsible is possibly paying this 20 million, which I don't believe she actually has. I don't think her book deals or her housewife's paycheck have her with 20 million in the bank. I think that 20 million got spent. I think it was spent on private jets. I think it was spent on jewelry. It was spent on producing music videos. It was spent on this big music career and this glamorous lifestyle that she was leading out there and you know she was patting the puss for everybody to to look at and now it's like okay well now somebody has to pay for that puss that puss is expensive that is a 20 million dollar puss and if we're going to be patting it you're going to be patting it in in um bankruptcy court and i don't know how much the judge is going to want to see you patting that puss as much as he's going to see you writing them checks girl so could she go to prison maybe if they're able to find out that she was complicit in a lot of this stuff. I mean, it looks like a lot of the shady dealings were done with within his company and his law firm, which she doesn't seem to have any sort of connection to. The only company that it looks like she might have some sort of legal responsibility to is Girardi Financial LLC, where she's listed as the secretary, or that's where it's super sketchy. I mean, there's also EJ Global LLC, where, she's, where the 20 million went, where we... I mean, I think that I think she's pretty it looks like that's an entertainment company and she can write off all of those expenses. But if Tom Girardi's estate wants to come after Erica or wants to come after EJ Global to pay up that 20 million in quote unquote loans, she's likely going to have to either find a way to pull out that 20 million, work out some sort of settlement deal or file for bankruptcy herself for that company which is just, it's not looking good for her. For me, what I would see the best case, I mean, her reputation is already tanked. It looks like most people, there's already like a petition to get her fired. Um, It looks like they together have some sort of history of tax liens that are of liens that have been placed for taxes that they weren't paying, like dating back to the early 2000s up until recently when they filed joint um, tax file, when they filed their taxes joint together. It looks like those also kind of had some unpaid taxes with liens that were placed on their properties. Like it's just, it's looking like a really messy situation. And depending on what she actually, what they can prove she actually knew. And this is where it's going to come down to, you know, paperwork with um, her signature on it. If she was a secretary in this Girardi Financial LLC, and that's somehow connected to all of these other lawsuits or this bigger scandal, if that's, if there's a connection there, then as the secretary at the meetings, at the board meetings, you should have been taking meeting minutes. And as the secretary, you should have been signing off on that sort of stuff, which shows that you were complicit in what was actually going on, whether she was or she wasn't. That's the question that's going to be that's going to need to be determined by 
her lawyers and his lawyers and like what like they're just going to need to figure all of this out but like text messages emails all of those things that show in writing that she was actually participating in all of this stuff is what's going to be the biggest piece that's going to incriminate her from what I've been able to gather but it doesn't look like any of that's going to exist I don't think there are emails I don't think she has a company email from the Girardi law firm from Girardi and Keese I don't think she has a company email from Girardi Financial I don't think she was even really signing off on anything to be honest probably other than joint tax filings I think she's probably going to be able to get away with saying she didn't know much and I actually believe that to an extent I'll repeat I think she knew her husband was shady but it was one of those things where it's like I'm going to keep my head in the sand that's your business those are your dealings I'm going to let you handle that I'm just going to sit back and eat the caviar and drink the champagne and ride on the private jets because you're treating me real good right now and you've treated me good for many years in terms of you know keeping the roof over my head providing for my fancy lifestyle that I have paying for my music career giving me this music career essentially buying it um but yeah it's it's not looking great for her and I think at this point her reputation is tanked probably her best bet is to talk about it on housewives and it's like well what is she actually going to be able to say what can she say it doesn't look like there are any gag reels Tom hasn't blocked her from being able to say anything about any of it the Boeing case does look like it was like there was a judgment that was you know that was decided and that was that the the families are owed the money all the other lawsuits that are coming out have yet to actually be um there's yet to actually be any settlements or updated settlements or conclusions to any of those. So we'll see how all of that plays out. Tom is now saying that, or his lawyers are arguing that he's unwell. He's mentally not there, um, which I don't know if that's a good argument to have or a really shitty argument to have. That is TBD. But what I do predict we will see on Beverly Hills this season is that she claims that there was a history of cheating. She tried to make it work. They lived separate lives. And I think there's a lot of evidence to to corroborate that. You know, I think the text messages with Trisha Bigelow probably wasn't great that she posted that publicly. But again, there could have been a bigger strategy possibly at play. I think she's going to play. I was the good wife. I stood by him every time he needed me to stand by him. I trusted him. I loved him. I think she's going to play up that whole card. We're going to see crocodile tears. We're going to see her hopefully have some sort of remorse because if you follow her on Instagram right now, it's not looking cute for her. She needs to like check herself and have some like humility because it looks like she's just living her life and it's not looking good in terms of like, you know, for the public looking out like in terms of her repu- her reputation she's probably going to need to stay on housewives for a few more years cuz she's going to need a paycheck cuz she's not getting a dime from Tom and if anything she's probably going to be caught up in the mess where she's going to have to pay out a lot of money and at least possibly up to this 20 million or else she's going to have to have the company file for bankruptcy but it's it's a messy messy situation and there's so much more to unfold and I'll continue to unfold it um, a lot of people are trying to wonder what we like what the the like how we can compare this to the Judai's case from Real House of, of New Jersey it looks like this case is way worse because there are many client there are many different lawsuits like with the Judai's it was I think it was bank fraud and like loaner fraud where, you know, Teresa signed off on a couple of on some paperwork and the two of them like they just they were fraudulent in filing their taxes and getting and taking out loans. And that just, you know, that 
was a messy situation. Um, but this is just so much deeper because, again, the victims that have been taken advantage of, it's really deep. It's really dark. It's very insidious. You see all of the, again, the the ethical complaints that were filed against Tom Girardi for many years that went unchecked. Like somebody, like at some point you would have expected someone to come in and intervene and prevent this man from being able to cause further damage. The fact that he was able to do this for well over a decade, probably even two decades, if we can really track everything. Cause like this dole, um, the banana pesticide case, like all of those were in the two thousands that like, this is not looking good for Tom. Like he, he's done. He's already been disbarred from what I believe. Like there's no way he can practice law moving forward. Um, and he is just, whether we're going to see him go to prison, whether he's going to have a mental breakdown, whether he might pass before then because he's already 81 years old. So he's getting up there if his health really is in bad condition. Like this is going to be a mess that's going to need to be followed for many, many more years. And I think there's no way she's leaving Real Housewives of Beverly Hills anytime soon. If anything, she may be the new Teresa Judice of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills because you know Bravo is going to try their damnedest to keep this to keep following this. And at this point, I think she's stuck between a rock and a hard place. She doesn't have any other jobs lined up. Her music career isn't going anywhere. Never really was unless she writes another book. But I don't think she can write another book until all of this is settled and until the divorce comes through. And it doesn't look like the divorce is going to be happening anytime soon with all this other shit that Tom's going to have to deal with. So it's just, it's bad. It's not like he's leaving her with a shit ton of money if he dies. It's like when you marry a man like this, you're like, okay, he might die soon. I might rack in all these millions. And instead it's like, nope, I'm going to be racking in all of this debt. And I'm still not even divorced from him. It's, it's bad. It's bad. It's real bad. Um, some great resources that I think would be really good for you guys to check out beyond this. I'll continue to cover this in the future. Um, I don't know how often I'm going to be doing updates because I want to kind of make sure when I give big updates. They're very meaty. But I would suggest there's a really good episode on hot takes and deep dives. It's a podcast. I've had Jess, the host of the podcast, on this show. I've been on her show. She had on former LA prosecutor Emily D. Baker, who really weighs in and gives an, um, uh, a legal analysis that I thought was really good. Ronald Richards on Twitter, again, closely following the case, tweeting live up- updates, also a really good resource. Up and Adam on YouTube, great person to watch that gives um, that gives good tea and good you know, updates on what's going on. But I mean, it's really just, it's big. It's like, how did Tom Girardi, the biggest questions I think coming out of this are how did Tom Girardi get away with it for so long? Did Eric, like what did Erica know specifically? I don't think it was much, but I mean, the fact that there's the potential that he used his influence to throw the Ghostbusters case to potentially have some sort of connection that got her on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, that's freaking huge. Like, and does that mean that that further incriminates her in some way if she was continuing to benefit with not just the lifestyle, but with opportunities that were now coming as a result of some of his shady dealings, alleged shady dealings? It's it's a lot. But send me your questions. Send me any articles that you find. Let's continue to investigate this together. My heart goes out to all of the victims out there that are trying to sue him, all of his former law partners. I'm sure some of them are not as clean as they're claiming to be. Let's just say that. But I mean, if you were duped by Tom Girardi, I feel really bad for you. I even kind of have a little sympathy for Tom Girardi because like, homie, your house of cards is tumbling down. My heart goes out to Eric. Like everybody involved. This is a messy situation. Um, but again, check out Hot Takes and Deep Dives. Check out Emily D. Baker. Apparently she might be doing a podcast about it. Check out Ronald Richards, Up and Adam. 
all great other people to follow. I think Kate Casey even did something on her show. I didn't listen to that episode, um, but I know other podcasters are bringing on other lawyers and you know, we're all just trying to make sense of all of this together. So keep it coming. Follow me at Just Plain Zach. Follow the show at No Filter with Zach. Join our private Facebook group. I'll probably drop some tea up in there. So get ready. Um, it's some good, good stuff, everybody. Get ready. Lots of great new episodes of Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter coming in 2021. Let's go at it. Let's hit it. Let's hit it strong. I will talk to you guys later. Bye.